everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. I am in the podcast studio with the one and only Garrett Weichel. One and only seems dramatic, but hey, Emma. I, I left that pause there. Garrett, I'm glad you're here. I, uh, I couldn't think of a better guy to be here to talk about observing the scriptures. And uh, I say we just dive into it. Great. Let's do it. All right. What do we need to know? We're talking about good Bible study method. Observation is a key step. Observation is one of the most important steps. And frankly, you can't get to the next steps without observation. And observation is the necessary work that's going to set the stage for the other two steps. And so just to spoil it, the next two steps are interpretation and application. Which would be, what does this mean? And how do I live differently because of what I read? Bingo. Interpretation. And so uh, when we start with observation, we get truly a picture of what the Bible is trying to communicate. Frankly, we get the whole picture of the Bible in general. Hmm. If we skip to interpretation first, we will take the first time where we read that text to mean as uh, the the gospel of, of whatever we're, we're reading. And so, for example, my classic example I always go to when I talk about this is 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And you read that and you think it's so great because, okay, I have anxieties. I just get to cast them upon God and he cares for me. Great, cool. But what does that actually mean? Frankly, what you just read there wasn't even a complete sentence. Hmm. It started with the phrase casting. Like, okay, what comes before that? What's the subject of that? And it's set in the context uh, of 1 Peter 5, 6, which says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so it's not even a verse about just giving over our anxieties. It's a verse about humbling ourselves before him. And when we do that, our anxieties fall away because he is over it. And even then, that's in the context of another chunk of humbling ourselves to those who are shepherding us and the whole piece of First Peter 5. And so that context matters so much. And observation is that chunk that we jump into before we do these other steps, before we try to draw meaning at all. We just have to see where we are. We have to set this state. Kind of orient ourselves. Exactly. And so uh, we get to think of it like a painting. Uh, If you go into, say, the Louvre and you look at the Mona Lisa, you're not just going to walk up to her, take one glance and walk away thinking, oh, I found it. I saw it. I'm good. You're going to sit there and you're going to study it. You're going to see the texture behind the brushstrokes. You're going to see the contrast. You're going to see the colors that da Vinci uses to paint. And you're going to gaze at it. You're truly going to you're going to look at it with a posture of appreciating the masterpiece Mm -hmm. that it is. Even if you're not an an art critic, Mm -hmm. you're still going to go in there knowing it's a famous painting and want to take it in. Exactly. And so the Bible is is like this. Like if we take the very word of God, it's so much more beautiful to us than the painting of da Vinci that somebody just said, oh, it's a good painting. It's some woman at some point. Mm -hmm. What's the big deal? This is the very word of God. And so let us read and observe the text with a posture of learning and appreciation for the masterpiece before us. And so... Step one of this study is observation because we just get to look at the text and be like, what is this? Frankly, observation asks very simple questions of the text. Like, what do I see? What's there? What's going on with the brushstrokes? Is there a texture? Not what does a texture mean, but what's there? We're not asking what it means or how to apply it yet. And so we think of this first step as kind of the five W's of like questions. So who, what, when, where, and why? And so uh, who, who's the author and who's the audience? Take Peter, for example. Peter's the author. We know that because he calls himself the author. Who's the audience? 
uh, probably the, the the Jews that are dispersed throughout the region. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd get that from chapter one? Bingo. And so you have to see this whole context of it, right, before we get to actually apply it. And so mm-hmm. observing the book in its entirety is key to this whole thing. Uh, what? What's the literary style and genre? Uh, genre is such a big deal because you can't read the Psalms like you would read the book of First Kings. You can't read this poetry like you read a historical narrative. If mm-hmm. you do, you're going to take the point of poetry, which is to uh, use artistic imagery and beautiful scenes to convey deep, deep emotion that the author and the recipients are supposed to have about this God. And then we get in the book of Revelation. Revelation is also apocalyptic genre. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother thing. There's there's prophetic writings. And so none of these genres are just like this, this one track. We have to understand where we are, uh, what literary style genre we're looking for. The next W we have is date and time. And so that'd be the when that this is written, not only in a, a setting context, but also in where it is in the Bible. Like, mm. I can't read the book of First Peter like I read the book of First Kings because different events have happened on either side of that. The Christ event happened between those. And so reading First Kings in light of Jesus not having come to earth in flesh, the Son of God incarnate, uh, that's a big deal when we read First Peter, having that event have happened. And so we just have to recognize that as we go. The where is the historical setting, and that which I, I kind of touched on a second ago. And then the why is the author's purpose. What is the purpose of writing? First Peter, again, as an example, uh, is dealing with a lot more of the internal conflict that's going on with uh, people in the church who are teaching bad doctrine. And so mm-hmm. uh, for Peter to call his people to humble themselves to their elders in that that chunk right there, the shepherds of them, um, is a big deal to, to find that right doctrine and health. And so as we go with observation, this is really priming the pump toward being able to interpret and apply. And because we're stepping into a literary genre, something that's written down, there's a lot of literary uh, tools that authors use as they go. And so as you read, it's really helpful not to just look at it and say, oh, I think this means this, and so that's how I'm going to apply it, or this is instantly what, what the text means. Rather, we're going to look at what the author is trying to communicate. What is the author's intent, and how are they doing it? So, for example, most people today, when they're giving a sermon, give three points. Those three points are meant to be simple, they're meant to be clear, and they're meant to uh convey information in a way that we can grasp it. Totally. That we'd walk away and remember. This is what they talked about, these three ideas. Yep. As I just described that, I repeated the same thing. They're meant to, they're meant to, they're meant to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just that repetition, the repetition of anything is going to drive for emphasis. And so if you're reading and you see the same word repeated or the same concept repeated, it's going to be a big deal. So let's let's use an example. First John 2. Um, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, 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 world. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the world. We have to recognize that's his point. Um, another literary piece that we could look at is contrast. Anytime somebody pits one thing against another and draws this contrast between the two, we have to observe that and say, oh, they're trying to delineate a good thing from a bad thing or a significant mm-hmm. thing from an insignificant thing. And so Proverbs 15.1 a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. He's contrasting these two points, these two effects here. And so we just have to observe that's what the author's doing. He's trying to drive meaning from this. Would you uh, would you put those in the what bucket? I often think if I'm, if I'm working through observation, I'm going to observe the text and I'm asking who, what, when, where, why, under what I may put what's repeated, what's 
what's contrasted, sure. what's emphasis. Does that work? I think it, I think it totally works. What, yeah, what is the author, what tools is the author utilizing to mm. convey his message to me? Okay. Uh, that's That'd be the, the piece there. So if I'm, you know, doing a three-point sermon, I do alliteration where everything starts with the same letter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the three C's or the three D's of blank, that I'm walking through, like that's that's a that's a helpful rhetorical strategy there, and the author is going to use his own to convey these same things. And so, um, contrast, repetition are two things that are totally ways that the author is doing it. So, if you want to characterize this as what, I think it's great, um, as long as we're seeing these. That's the point of observation. It's just seeing everything. We're not again, we're not applying this. We're not even interpreting what it's meant to say. We're just saying, how is the author getting us to the meaning later? What's the author doing? What is the author saying? Uh, what are they bringing up? What are they leaving out in some of these things? And so one is comparison or the consideration of similarities between multiple things or ideas. And so uh, James 3 talks about uh, the small things that drive stuff in life. So a bridle in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship. Mm-hmm. And he says, just like those things, the tongue does the same thing for our body. It drives so much of what we do. Mm-hmm. He's comparing the tongue to these, these normal things to, to make a theological point. Uh, and there, there's more to go into on that. One is cause and effect. Uh, it includes what happens and the reason it happens. Something causes another, and we should recognize that. We have figures of speech, similes, metaphors, hyperbole, paradox. like Taking us back to English class. Totally. These are things that the authors use like when they're trying to convey these. And so if, if you take that... As it is, Mark 10 is a paradox where it says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Hmm. It's not literally saying we should go and be enslaved to the people who uh, we, we, we do our lives with. Sure. He's saying, look at how I need to reorient My thinking. how you think. Yes, exactly. And so they use figures of speech to... You have a rhetorical strategy for communicating this information. We do the same thing all the time. I am a very sarcastic person. <laughs> you are? Very sarcastic person. And when I speak in sarcasm, I hope that people wouldn't take me literally. Like, if they do, we got problems, and I'm mm-hmm. a terrible human. Yeah, you're hurting things. You're hurting a lot of feelings. I need to, yep, that's something for me to check in my spirit. <laughs> and so, uh, but people don't generally know that it's sarcasm. Right. Usually, uh, it's, it's your friends, people who know you. It's Yeah, it's also uh, usually self-deprecating. And so, like, I do it to myself. And if anything, if anybody takes it literally, it's like, oh, he just thinks really poorly of himself. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I know better than that. And so uh, our biblical authors use figures of speech, and we should we should recognize those and run with the ones that they use. A couple Good. more. There's a ton more of these that we could go into. Uh, purpose and results, purpose behind a cause, the means. I love this one, Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. It's not just you doing the deeds that are going to cause you to live. It's you by the Spirit. Spirit. He's empowering you to do that. If we miss that, we become behavior modifiers at best. Mm -hmm. And at worst, we are selfish and thinking that our works weren't our salvation. Yeah. And then one more that's just really helpful to note is unusual words. If a word is not used in your cultural context, please know that you should go look that up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so all of that is to say before we even get to the point of saying, what does this text mean? Or what do I do in light of it? We just have to figure out what is the author trying to communicate? How are they trying to communicate? And as you practice this, a really great example is to go to Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And the exercise that I ask people to do in observation is to make as many observations as you're able about that. Mm-hmm. Just as best you can. How many can you rattle off? How many can I rattle off? I'm not going to do it here. Uh, yeah. But how many can you? And people use this and they come together and like say your community group were to do this and, and come all together and, and look at everybody's. Somebody may have 10. Somebody may have 20. Somebody may have 50. Mm-hmm. And you get to share those with one another. And then you say, okay, go find another 20 more. Mm-hmm. And you will find another 20 more because there are so many things to, to, to get out of this. But you will receive power. He's giving it to us. Mm-hmm. You will receive power. It's not with us yet. You'll receive power. We'll receive something that's outside of ourselves to empower us. Like that's just the first four words. But the word but's a conjunction there. So what's it in con- standing in contrast to? Exactly. We should look back. And so yeah. that's the first four words, four observations. And there's so many more to make off of that. It's good. It's and good. so the moral of the story is before you interpret, before you apply, slow down, look at the text, look at the masterpiece that's before you, and just see how the author is putting it together. Because when you do that, you will be able to read your own interpretation out of the text, and you'll better see what the Bible's trying to communicate to you, what God, who's revealed himself through his written word, is trying to communicate to you for your good and for his glory. It's great, Garrett. Man, we are out of time. But thank you for being here. And uh, if I just want to, I want to boil down two questions you left us with when it comes to observation, thinking about what the author is trying to communicate and how are they communicating. Yep. Not what does this mean? Not what does this mean for me? Not how do I respond? But what is the author trying to say? Or simply put, what does this text say? Yeah? Yep. And one more thing. Observation should be the step in this study that takes you the longest. It's good. This should be the step that you spend the most time on. Read the book multiple times over before you even get to what are the intricacies of this book mean. Because when you come across the hard parts of the Bible, the hard verses, the hard passages, a lot of times they're answered really well because you just get to view the context surrounding it. Uh, I'm thinking of a lot of places that people always ask me questions about. Well, how do I interpret this? How do I interpret that? And I ask the question, have you read the entire book? With that question in mind, because oftentimes your answer is right there to see what the author is trying to paint as an entire message, not just pulling their author's words outside of, of the whole message they're trying to communicate. And so take the most time on observation every time you enter into Bible study. So good, Garrett. Thanks for being here. And as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.